This is Shaka Wartspeak. Welcome to Design Stuff. Yes. <laughs> so we're doing um, another feature kind of uh, what another do you, one. Yeah. What do you call it? We want to we want to have some focused talk on design. Yeah. And so um, you could hear from our very convincing intro that we're serious about design. Hundred percent. And uh, so we want to open it up. And I'm I'm gonna. Um, well, we are Shaco Art Speak. It is Gareth and Ryan. Hey, what's up? Cody Spice is not here today, but. No. Um, uh, he'll be back, and with uh, some other uh, crew members as well as we we keep growing as a team mm-hmm. and as a you know organization and as a a podcast. Like just a lot of great things on the horizon. But um, today, you know, we're taking our break from. Um, uh, but we're, we're, I think we've closed out calling. No, we, we're yeah, gonna, yeah. I think we may we're come back to around that. to it later. Yeah, you know, stuff will pop. Back stuff up. will pop back up. We have some great new. A great new series on the horizon. I'm not going to say much about it yet. Mm-hmm. So Gareth won't either. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you're going to be excited about this. It's kind of the next big um, uh, focus and hopefully will involve some fresh guests. Yeah. So uh, that's just a teaser of what's coming. Um, but like, you know, like the uh, deconstructing Jerry's tweets, mm-hmm. um, you know, we want to also, you know, which, which are in some ways to help us think about it. We want to do something similar here, but but not with the same deconstruction and, and and maybe so much of a negative, but just a more of a provocative thinking from yeah the wisdom of other other practitioners that are yeah it's always being in the headspace of the rest of people in conversation right like, yeah uh, that we don't we don't exist in a vacuum we don't uh, we're not trying to uh, just say our own thing and but also realizing like we come out of a particular context sure like, you know we we don't. We don't exist. We don't have the thoughts we have. We don't have a lot of the the conversations if they don't come out of a particular context, right? So within like a historical arc, like a lot of the things we'll talk about, um, you know, specifically for me as, as somebody who's like kind of grown up into this like this design conversation that's been yeah. going on, um, these are things that have been a part of how I've thought through and conceived of and kind of uh, built the way I do things. Yeah, uh, and I'm just one designer. That's right for myself. Like yeah. there's plenty out there who have had some of the similar experiences. Yeah. And, you know, I think when we started um, working together, the, the recognition is that um, there's friction and difference between a lot of times between like a studio of visual artist and a designer. Yeah. But also like um, there's a ton of overlap that mm-hmm. because of the, the, the differences, sometimes the overlap's not seen. That's true. And so you know, I think what we've done is tried to um, build foundationally on the overlaps mm-hmm. So that there's more of a, a robust meeting point that changes the way we look at the differences. So they're not yeah. necessarily frictions as much as things to appreciate. So I would say that this is an example of that, mm-hmm. like what we're doing now. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, you know, I think we, we we yeah we fail to to look at similarities, um, and not just in conversations like this, but you know, our culture by and large is uh, very myopic, mm-hmm. um, and so we we dismiss similarities. 
because we we take them as assumptions sometimes, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so we dismiss them and say they're somewhat unimportant when actually the similarities can be the most important things that actually help right. uh, with a lot of things. Um, and if you ever had to work or collaborate with somebody, <laughs> you know exactly what that means, yep. right? Um, so, yeah. Um, so what are we doing today, GRAF? So today, you know, uh, one way we're going to kind of do some of these discussions uh, is to take some of those voices from the past. And, and the ways we can, we will literally be taking those voices from the past. So yep. you'll be hearing uh, the words from the actual people's mouths. Um, so this week we've got some stuff from Milton Glaser. Um, if you're not familiar with Milton Glaser, uh, you actually are. You just don't realize it uh, because his his name or his face may not be something you recognize. But everybody's seen the Isle of New York logo. Everybody's seen the really iconic kind of rainbow-haired Bob Dylan poster. Um, this is a guy who's been who's been kicking it hardcore as a designer for a long time, mm-hmm. and he's still active. Um, and I think you know I, I can't speak uh, in like the the period of COVID and, and post COVID, but um, I know up until like 2018, 2019, he was uh, still doing these really amazing classes with SVA mm-hmm. uh, in New York where. Students would come in in small numbers, and he would kind of lead them through things like illustration, art direction, and graphic design in the way that he had. So he was still actively teaching as of three years ago, and uh, hopefully he still is. I hope mm-hmm. that everything's great with Milton. Um, from everything I've heard, he's a fantastic man. Um, but yeah, we just wanted to have uh, kind of a few of his quotes, and they would give us uh, you know some time to, to kind of talk through them, see what's uh, positive, or maybe things where we think it's you know not. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to say incomplete because it's, mm-hmm. it's his thoughts, but you know, ways that we could maybe flesh them out within the context of things we've talked about mm-hmm. and whatnot. So yeah, we've got some stuff from Milton and uh, I guess you just want to jump to the first one. Let's jump in, man. Okay. I'm so excited. here we go. In my own experience, uh, anything I've really discovered uh, has come through the act of work or making things that the act itself is the path to discovery. That's a good one, man. I mean, that's a yeah. applicable. So you got like, I love. He he loves the act of making, mm-hmm. and it's the path to discovery. Yeah, yeah. Um, those are two two big components that even even harken back to the um, the calling series in a way. Yeah, definitely. And the and the thing is, is um, when you look at I think somebody like Milton Glaser, a, a designer, we we have these ideas in our head of designers where they're just kind of like you know, pixel jockeys and they're sitting in front of a computer moving a mouse around and doing yeah. things like that. You, I, I, if I could, I think you think of, um, I think I, I would think of, and I've seen it and I think it was of a, of a particular era. So I'm mm-hmm. like, but you think of like, um, Apple products and you think about yeah. really sharp glasses. Like there's these things mm-hmm. like you can kind of tell a designer yeah. in their glasses. It, it, I'm saying this is like a kind of a, perhaps a very much a stereotype or cliche and not, not necessarily correct. No, totally. But you think of them as like pretty sharply dressed, mm-hmm. um, tight, tight glasses, all, uh, flare in the socks and the glasses, Yeah, you know, in, in, in doing very particular tasks. Yeah. I'm not saying I would never say that that was a hundred percent incorrect. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but, um, but I think you know what what you think about a lot of times is like we talked about differences when you talk about a designer and say a painter. Yeah, you'd say oh their studio practice is a hundred percent different from one another. But if you were to walk into the studio of Milton Glaser with what he's talking about, you might not be able to tell right off the bat. Yeah, that's how what's different it is. Yep, um, because yeah, he may not have canvases and paints, um, but he is going to be doing like very much uh, analog drawing sketching, illustrating, he'd have vellum, he'd be overlaying things, mm-hmm. he'd be taking cues from, you know, 
the real world, so to speak, um, and having like reference materials and things he's looking at um, before it becomes something. And most of the designers I've worked with uh, are in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think so. You, I think that's a good thing to kind of proceed any discussion of what he's saying with, just so that you know it's not you're not misunderstanding what he says when he talks about work. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Because yeah. in that space, the work is an exploration. Um, you know, it, it is much more about finding what the solution is rather than assuming or perceiving the solution, and then <laughs> stubbornly just running into it. So, in in that framework, how how much is how much is so finding solutions uh, assumes that there are problems to yeah. solve, right? So are we in in the practice in the way that it's being expressed here in, in, in his work? Mm-hmm. Are we talking about someone that is uh, playing before problems emerge? Like, is there, you know, like that's one of the, I think that's one of the things yeah. that people, people kind of ebb and flow between. It's like, a, like I was talking with an artist friend of ours today and it's like, you know, um, we were relating to the fact that um, urgency and dist and and time mm-hmm. are paradoxical yeah. in, in the way that like I approach things and the way that he does, uh, Kurt. And we were talking about I think that comes from being a painter mm-hmm. because you have a you have a kind of like if I don't do it, no one's going to do it. Yeah, yeah. And then you also know that you you're if you're really going to get into it, you're not. It's not going to happen overnight mm-hmm. but what's required is a kind of a urgency on the front end to steward the process to the point of it happening yeah so we're so in um and that's the work mm-hmm. and then prior to the work there is the um trying to get to the place where in my studio practice or as a painter um where you're you're mucking around mm-hmm. and and i found it's harder to muck around the more the more time goes yeah yeah i think there's there's probably maybe there's a bit more mucking around on the design side of things. And I think some of that is because um, some of the most like fruitful conversations I've had with students in the past have been just helping them understand how much visual research they've done in their life mm-hmm. toward design because you're literally consuming it like almost 24 hours a day, mm-hmm. right? I mean, even, even in your dreams, you're going to have ancillary items that are there like billboards yeah. and, uh, you know, built environments and things yep. like that. So, um I don't know. In terms of, you know, I think the play is happening before. Uh, most designers I know also uh, have an affinity towards uh, toys. They become kind of fetishistic of yeah. objects. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, um, which makes sense because they're engaged in making those things. Yep. Um, but, yeah, I think that what what you would see, um, you'd probably see a lot of sketchbooks. Um, you'd probably see a lot of iterations. Mm-hmm. You'd see a lot of things. Uh, so the work, the work is not necessarily like... I don't know. I think the when when I think of work, it's heavily front loaded. Mm-hmm. So, um, and correct me if I'm wrong from my understanding here, Ryan. But with what we were talking about, it sounds almost like you get to the point, and then there's like a big heavy lift in kind of the making of the piece and the final thing. Um, when I think about design that flows best, and when I hear people like Milton Glaser talk about design, it sounds very much like the heavy lift is at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And so the the solution or the outcome, it, it kind of is like almost like a natural flow mm-hmm. of what was done at the beginning mm-hmm. where it just kind of, this, this is super simplified, but it just kind of coalesces. Yeah. 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 You can't switch those. Yeah, almost. that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think in, I would say that there's like weird overlaps there and they, there's like ways that they mean different things a little bit. So 
you know, and I say I don't play as much. It's only because of the economy of time. Yeah. Play seems to be super important to being a painter. But yeah, you're right. Like, so depending on the way, so this becomes like, what kind of painter are you? I guess, like from yeah. my standpoint. And so, like, plain air painting is immediate. You know, mm-hmm. um, but if you're if you're designing and drawing things out first, and then you're then you're color blocking, and then you're developing that way. There's a lot of front load work. Oh yeah. Bef- and and it becomes more of um, kind of what Kurt was saying, like. It's just completion now. Like you, mm-hmm. you know, front end where it's going to go. So you're you've done the heavy lift in that sense. So where Kurt and I may differ um, in our practice. So whereas for me, I have a mental conception of where things are going to go. I have mm-hmm. like um, an impression of color, form, composition, but that's going to be built out in in a, a action reaction. Uh, through the making of the thing. Yeah. And that means that there's points of departure that I, I'm not going to be able to estimate because the brush may move away that I didn't intend, but I may respond to that and mm-hmm. that could send off a different calculation yeah. of, you know, so it's a, it, so there's difference there so that, yeah, there's a heavier lift in, in my practice, I think, because I am, it, it's all in the making of the thing on the front end. So not better or worse is different right, according totally. to the medium. And, um, and so I think why I find what you're saying interesting is I think sometimes the average person may think of the designer as like you said, like a pixel pusher mm-hmm. who is completely removed from a tactile world. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a misnomer for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, I think there's plenty of designers that are like that. Yeah, for um, sure. I, I would, and that's would, not a judgment even. On, no, it's on, not a judgment, yeah. but I would stake my claim. And I would say that, uh, if, if, if your design falls strictly into a, I just push pixels, um, there's going to be something detrimental in that. Yeah, just because there's there's a lack of maybe a, a, a larger kind of fullness. Yeah, and awareness, to what awareness, is. awareness of you know, everything. Yeah, and, just, and I yeah. think that that's you know, and we could we could make uh, parallels with other things. You know, mm-hmm. like the difference between a like a hobbyist and a studio artist. Yeah, you know, we could where it's it's not a better or worse. It's just a difference. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think that's. Uh, but but when at least you know when I've taught design, when I've interacted with designers on a professional level. Um. It, it very much is like there's a lot of ex- exploration and discovery. Like the, mm-hmm. the work is kind of a seeking or a searching. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the you try to keep the questions kind of at the forefront of your mind for as long as possible um, mm-hmm. so that you only present solutions when they become almost like, a, hey, there it is, dummy. Yeah. You know, and, and some of that deals with the nature of like communication and design mm-hmm. and, and clarity and things where, you know, I'm, I don't know if you've ever been to a museum and you've seen like graphic design work on the wall, mm-hmm. like it's a little difficult to like sit with it the same way you would with like a Cy Twombly painting. Totally. You know, it's, it's just, yep. there's, <clears throat> there's something in us that says it's, it's just a, it's a different experience. It's yep. a different interaction. That's right. Different relationship. Totally. Um, so yeah, it's a, uh, there's, you know, other things going on. Whereas, you know, I would look at some of Milton Glaser's work <clears throat> and uh, I would say, oh, these are severely artistic. I mean, almost painterly, some mm-hmm. of them. And uh, some of the stuff he's done, um, which I would say is partly to do with the timing of how old he is and the way there was more proximity in some ways mm-hmm. in, in his origin story. I, I, I'm just guesstimating oh, yeah. um, just be, because we weren't as atomized and fractured. So some of what we're trying to sort of pull back together is is simply what has been institutionally fractured for various reasons over yeah. 40, 50 years. Yeah, because so, I mean, if you're if you're coming through a school that is uh, reinforcing your typographic knowledge by having you hand paint and hand letter things, yeah, you're going to have a different experience 
with how you understand the digital form on a screen mm-hmm. uh, than what you're going to have. Now, that doesn't mean that every time you've got to go out there and, you know, do some crayon rubbings of, of headstones and then convert things into some vellum yeah. overlay text and create your own typeface for a thing. That's great if somebody's going to pay you the six figures to do that kind yeah. of work. Um, but if you're the 99.9% of other work that's going on, um, having a better appreciation for what these forms are and that they don't exist just yeah. out of like happenstance right, um, is a really good thing. Um, and that is the space that Milton... Uh, Glazer kind of came out of, which is why he, I think, could work so well with artists yeah. and with advertisers. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's. I, yeah, I, I was even thinking about Warhol's move away from advertising, and he's yeah. an excellent draftsman, actually. Which so makes he, sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, people discount his ability, but he was successful in advertising and and went and inverted the other way into into fine art, but with actual abilities and yeah. people. Nick, People just like that's what gets me is like a lot of these maker types have uh, range and robust ability and focus it in in areas um, through a kind of uh, more analog makerliness. So, yeah, and I think um, <clears throat> one of the things that was uh, when you look back at the history of design and how it kind of emerges, it, it emerges really in you know printing and, and advertising. In this commercial space, because they needed, they needed somebody to paint Santa holding the Coke bottle. Mm-hmm. You know, they needed Norman Rockwell to paint. Yeah, the and illustrators needed a job. Yeah, you know, it, to support their interest in image making. And it made made total sense. Um, you know, and then um, then the two the two industries, you know, commercial art and uh, advertising, then became almost like seen as one thing. Um, but when we talk about you know, like what these people were doing, they were actual trained artists doing this commercial art. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of things coming out of that space were th- like they're legitimate artists. They're just practicing in a different way. Right. You know, you wouldn't, I don't know, you wouldn't call like a, a, a an art teacher, not an artist, mm-hmm. but we were really, we're really okay with saying a commercial artist is yeah. not an artist. They're just some other thing. Um, but when you hear what like what Milton Glaser said in that quote, you hear somebody talking about, you know, work is discovery. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I, I discover things. There's nothing I haven't learned outside of the work. Yeah, um, that's studio talk. Yeah, that's, that's studio 100%. talk, and it's, that goes back to that's epistemology talk. In some ways, is you work to discover. So to work is to assume what you know, mm-hmm. but only to the point that it uncovers more to know. Yeah. So there's a there's a tan is a you know that goes back to that philosopher's circle I was talking. Excuse me, I was talking about earlier in in a previous episode, and I think um, it's like we got to say that ten different ways so that that lands in our minds, so that we're not feeling uh, despair over what we don't know as as it comes on the momentum of what we've done and what we do know. That's what I always call my students problem opportunities. Mm-hmm. The pro- opportunities are problem opportunities that emerge because you've been doing work. Yeah. And so the, the only question for me is like, I try to generate with my students is create good problems for yourself. Yeah. Don't, don't have the problems of not working. Cause that's mm-hmm. just a different problem altogether. Yeah. And, and then that can get into like psychology and, and desire. And that's the point of like a talk on calling. Like, mm-hmm. but you know, um, so here you have, how long has Glazer been working? Jeez. Oh, uh, 50, 60 years. Yeah. Uh, at least. Yeah. Um, so here's somebody yeah. that's and he's older here. So he's still working and he's giving you, this is not someone who's just getting going. It's not your average yeah. YouTuber giving you their 10-minute uh, 
tips based on graduating from grad school last year. Right. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, born in 1929. There you go. So he's approaching 100 years old. Yeah. And he has been He's like Wayne Tebow was before he just passed. I mean, yeah, he, he's been professional longer than most people that you've ever seen in your life have been alive. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's... And that's so there's weight thing. behind the simplicity and efficiency of the comments. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I had a... Um, I did a program at the SVA a few years back, and one of the things we got to do was actually go into the Milton Glaser archives that they had and you know there was there was the archivist with the white gloves on, and she was gingerly turning pages in this giant portfolio of all his original pieces. Wow, that he had given to the school, and it was just amazing because you saw some of those iconic things. You saw sketches of his making the "I Love New York" logo. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you saw like first printings of the Bob Dylan concert posters. You know, you saw all these things, and it was just amazing because their scale was there, but there was also a severely humanistic quality to the yeah, work yeah, that was yeah. being done. They get brought down to, the, to earth in a good way. Yeah, because I you mean, know? you're like, you're like, oh, in the same way that I go and I, you know, I can, I can, I can trash talk Van Gogh all day until I go stand in front of one, and I'm like, mm-hmm. holy crap, there yeah. are some like super amazing things happening to me yeah, right the, now. The media mediation of people like Van Gogh. And um, can rob you of a pretty, and did me for a long time because it's almost a cliche sounding thing to talk about him. Mm-hmm. And then I, I've gone full circle on almost every artist that's been saturated with through, through marketing that of, of not of their own doing. Yeah. You know, so like um, I've seen Monet's water lilies. I've seen, you know, there's like D- Degas paintings that, mm-hmm. that you're like, okay, or Picasso paintings over and over again. Um, and Van Gogh is one of the last to fall for me where I started, you know, I've always been a fan of Van Gogh's drawings. They're always mm-hmm. a little edgier. And what I think is underlying the painting is 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 even more laid bare in the way his mark mark making the energy implied in the marks and the way he structures yeah. picture planes. Like there's just things that you go into. But um, but yeah, there's some paintings in Philadelphia and there's one in Virginia, the VMFA, that I'm like, this is one of my favorite paintings. Yeah. And I I wouldn't even guess that Van Gogh made it except for I recognize I mean, it's like of a boat near a dock. It's not even what you think of as a Van Gogh. Yeah. But that just goes to like my own ignorance to the range, but also seeing in person, which can't, it's just, it's just a thing. If, you, if you're if you able to see works in person, mm-hmm. if not make a category for missing oh, yeah. experience when you, you don't have to fight to remind myself of that, um, that aspect. So it's cool to hear even with a designer that you're able to go in and see, uh, you know, the renderings of the I, I Love New York logo. Mm-hmm. And like it came from somewhere. It was birthed out of something. It was birthed yeah. out of contours and, and psyche of a man who was, you know, making particular curves. And, right. You know. And I think, you know, one of the things that I love, <clears throat> like it, I can go to a museum and see some fantastic work and it's painters and sculptors and, and mixed media artists and whatever else it is. Um, and because I don't do those things, mm-hmm. Um, I can I can put a lot of distance between me and those objects yeah. and be like, yeah, of course they're great. I, I don't have any. Yep. I don't do this. Yeah. <clears throat> but with one of the things that was striking about seeing those prints and those drawings uh, from the archive is that when you saw the way that the ink sat or the like you're talking about the the, the quality of the line, the, mm-hmm. the way that things were, that it was particularized to his form, to his shape, to his to his body movement, to the muscle memory he had from all the different things he did throughout his day. When you saw the particularity of that, um, it immediately was like, hey, Gareth, you're not a good designer. Mm-hmm. Like there was there was a space that was created there that I, I couldn't ignore because I'm like, no, I am doing this stuff mm-hmm. and I'm not doing this. Yeah. You know, so when all of that, like when he talks about work, like it has so much a heavier weight 
of like seriousness, mm-hmm. not not like an impending doom weight, but like yeah. a seriousness because he's he's done this. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. part and parcel. Like he he was working as a designer as a nine to five thing, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't it wasn't like kind of the current uh, conception of designer where you're kind of like a contract person, and you're doing a job here, doing a job there, maybe you got another job in the meantime. Like he started a, a company in 1974, mm-hmm. and it's been going ever since. And he's nine to five. It's yeah. an office job for yeah, yeah. you know the the way that we've talked about even like you know pro practice and studio mm-hmm. of like it being you know you got to kind of clock in yep. do your work for the yeah, day. Yeah, you got to get in, and it's it's tough. Um, but it is, you know, you can't again like you said this isn't some guy who just started. Yeah, you know, he's been doing this forever, so you can't discount it. Yeah. What do we got for his next uh, next thought? All right, let's cue up the second one. My general advice to the young. Well, you have to work like hell. I mean, there's no issue about uh, being a natural genius and then falling into opportunities that will support it. Nobody's interested in supporting genius. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell's book, recent book, defined uh, uh, 10,000 hours as the amount of time anybody has to put in to attain mastery. I love the fact that he was able to quantify that, and I would quite agree that that is a good number before you begin to understand what it is you're doing. So the first thing I would say is put in your 10,000 hours. That might be a tougher one to swallow. Yeah. Because that that kind of is one of those things we could write off and be like, oh, what a nice piece of grandfatherly advice Mm -hmm. uh, from old Milton. Um, But I think the thing is, is... uh, when when I when I hear him talk about things like genius versus uh, working like hell, um, I, I think it's not it's not to refute either. It's not to place one on a pedestal. Say they both they both work together, mm-hmm. right? Um, I work with someone someone currently who uh, repeats over and over again that nobody's interested in genius design, and and I get that because it is a it's like a almost a cultic sort of so statement. What, so so say more about that. What are we thinking there? Because I, I I like so you're saying. Um, it's, it, it, you're trying to hit at the ask the the mindset of the designer by yeah. implicating the audience that's not there. Yeah, so it's 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 not all that different from the the first quote we talked about in mm-hmm. terms of like you know work and whatnot. So when when we talk about genius designer, like think of like the worst the worst stories you've heard about somebody like Picasso, right? Where just like flippantly makes a mark and then says go sell it for millions of dollars, mm-hmm. like. That's not, he's like, that's not what this is about. Like, if that's you, like, it doesn't, it doesn't change that you have to work like hell. Yeah. Because we, like, you don't get to genius. Yeah. Like, as a first step. Yeah. Well, is there a, is there a, because I'm, I'm thinking, I mean, the gen- genius category is so problematic for various reasons. Like, yeah. both, you know, it's, it's a designation. There's just so much to that conversation. So I'm trying to, like, think about that. And, I'm thinking about work like hell in contrast to nobody wants to support a genius. And I'm wondering if somewhere in there is a service aspect to the, the work Mm -hmm. like hell. Uh, that means that you're, um, service minded in design because it's, it's, it's got, um, and you know, I don't want to close this down too tightly, but it seems to me that there are ends, uh, that implicate other. And, um, and, and so I hear this as like, kind of like a, a removal of an ego mm. in some ways. Yeah. yeah. Um, nobody. So if I, if I, if I was trying to undress this, it, I could almost imagine him saying nobody's interested in supporting ego, mm-hmm. which is another way of saying if people are, are there to be served, they're not there to support your ego. 
because you're there to serve them. Yeah, right. I, I think that'd be fair. I mean, you know, because uh, and that that's probably one of those spaces um, where like there's, um, I don't know, one of those spaces where maybe there is like difference between like design and, and maybe like traditional studio arts. Right? Sure, where like genius is maybe a more functional category. Yeah, that's what I'm. That's what I'm wondering. <laughs> like, it's like as much as it's problematic in the studio arts, it has a history of like, oh, I, I went in, I, I went and saw this exhibition, and I got to see into the 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 mind of a, a creative genius or a brilliant, yeah. or I, you know, let's take Bach or something like mm-hmm. people, people um, designate in, in a way that makes, it's almost like it makes more sense in certain, in certain places. There's a high one-to-one ratio with technical proficiency in music, let's say. Yeah. And then composition. Then there's a historical context that affirms composition and has, and then you have someone that is like blowing compositions up while retaining mm-hmm. the best of what they are in like, for its time freaking people out with gross capacity that moves past what even seems to be relevant to them as like a, just a regular person. Like, yeah, you know, there's a whole set of issues and baggage that comes with that and a set of ideas. And then it, it doesn't always translate as well. It's like, it's like, okay, so put it another way. The genius typically doesn't know that they're a genius mm-hmm. until other people start to say it for so long. Yeah. That what you're really talking about is some eccentricities and possibly a persistent level of paradigm shifting output, you know, and and it's coming from like a, it's coming from a sincere engagement that they just happen to be pushing farther than what others have, and so then people are like, "This person's brilliant. You got to meet them. Yeah, they're a genius." Like, and so in in that sense, it's sort of like uh, assigned after the fact. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't make sense to be pursuing that. Because the geniuses like Bach is pursuing music, um, and what follows is genius. Yeah, not no. not that it's like I'm going to be a genius. It's like no, I I, I got to make this music and I hear it this way. And no, I other think that's good because he there's another there's another quote from Mel Glazer where he talks about like you know kind of doing what you're really good at like that's how careers start, um, you know. But that's usually not in the space of genius, right? Like so Bach could have probably just knocked out some like. Uh, you know, little, little like uh, tea party music, just banged it out. And he mm-hmm. could have just been selling that on the street, making his, making his living, whatever. Um, but that's not where his genius was found. Right. So, so Milton Glaser talks about, he's like, you know, if you, if you're really good at drawing Cocker Spaniels, you're going to get a lot of people wanting Cocker Spaniels from mm-hmm. you, but that's not going to make your career. Mm-hmm. Like that's not going to do it. Um, you know, like there's not, kind of, I don't know, genius in that. There's not, you know, there's not a lot there, but I think, the, I think what you're saying, like it has some good resonance to it because there is a, there is a check, um, which is not, I mean, it's, it's a different check, but it's, uh, uh, it's, it's not the same as it would be for a studio artist. Like you may have a, a gallerist come in and say, oh, well this stuff on in your studio is actually like, like really good. Let's like focus on some of that. You got to show in nine months, you know, let's build this up a little bit more. We want to show more of it. Whereas uh, as a designer, like a lot of stuff you're going to have is going to be, like you said, service-based in some ways. So you're going to have other people who are saying, hey, we need this or we're looking for this or we want this. Um, and I know right now, like every contemporary designer out there listening is just like having a seizure on the floor because they're like, no, no, we're independent creative geniuses that we can just make things that don't actually make any sense to anybody. It's like, no, you're probably doing other art. Mm-hmm. It's probably not design. Um, and I'm happy to say that these are the opinions of me and me alone, not necessarily Shock of Speak. But I'm yeah, happy to talk totally. To you Gareth almost got fired right there um, from his non-paying gig. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I think you know you're doing other things. You might be doing sculpture or mixed media. You might be doing, 
you know, woodworking or something, but making no, tacos, you're not, you're not doing design. Um, but that's just me, you know, could be wrong, but I'm not. Um, so the, um, the thing I would say with it is like, you're always kind of in that service. So like, you know, if, if I am, if I'm helping, um, if I'm helping a, a, a nonprofit organization, uh, start, um, a, a new endeavor that they're doing, like uh, there's, there's a check on what I can and can't do. So whatever genius is there is going to be held not in check, not like at a short leash, but it's going to be directed in a way. Mm-hmm. So there's, there is, there is a space where constraint, when you look at those constraints, like most of the designers you see that are doing stuff that people are like, Oh, they're geniuses. They're kind of like later career mm-hmm. after, you know, they've kind of gotten, gotten got a stuff body of rolling work. where yeah. they can say, Oh, now I can, you know, because I'm getting paid six figures over here for this, I can yep. have some time. That's right. To more or less do kind of studio work. Yeah. 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 You know, and, right. and Milton's done that. Um, Paul Rand did that. Um, a lot of these folks have done that. They've they've written they've written books. A lot of them done children's books that are beautiful and wonderful mm-hmm. and done some great things. They've made uh they've designed products, they've they've made textiles, they've done a number of things, but it's a little later in their career when they have the kind of freedom, I guess, yeah. to kind yeah, of pursue yeah, yeah. that. Yep. That's interesting. Yeah, I've always felt a draw towards long career goals as opposed to trying to get everything in one, like one dose. And so um, for me, it's rewarding to be where we're at right now because of that, that yeah. reason, like, like um, because the, the, the steps have, have played out. Okay. So it's like um, earlier steps have allowed for what's happening now. You know, it's like a 20 year, yeah. I'm 20 over well over 20 years, but a, a tight 20 years of really having certain goals or, yeah. desires and seeing those come to fruition. It's, it's um, awesome because I've been in multiple institutions where some of what we're talking about and doing are always dislocated from each other because of uh, institutional bureaucracy yeah. and ignorances around these issues. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so um, it just, you know, it's funny, it's almost born out of necessity of seeing it so much that you're like, it drives me bonkers that this is the way that it is to such an extent and what it does is it tends to uh, bifurcate and leave leave people uh, mutually unsupported in ways they could be. And it's yeah. like you realize you could be doing things together because you know that would bring in some money and this would free you to do exactly what you're saying, like be more. Mm-hmm. And it's like you have go between. You get to have some fun. Like it's like these things could happen, I, I suppose. And, and um, yeah, I think uh, you know we're looking at some goofy Bauhaus. Mm-hmm. charts that are like not goofy they're kind of insane in an amazing oh, yeah. way yeah and i've been thinking about those too and it's like gosh th- you know there's a there's going to be a period of recovery i think in our future culturally mm-hmm. for what has been lost yeah at the expense so like at the expense of the things that institutions are holding is most critical without going into that and so i think um some of us are going to end up being like benedictine monks preserving cultural thoughts, artifacts, and, and, um, and so on. Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, you, you, you talking about those, uh, those Bauhaus, uh, uh, charts and stuff. I was actually just looking back through my email to see, uh, when I sent you some of the, some of those charts and books. Cause I found, uh, I found a ton of, um, old like Bauhaus publications, um, that had been digitized mm. and I immediately grabbed all those. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to, and most of them are in German, so they're super unhelpful. Yeah, I don't speak uh, German. But um, I, I think speak Lebowski, though. <laughs> Who's Lebowski? Who's this Mr. Lebowski? I'm a Lebowski. You're a Lebowski. <laughs> I 
the, I'm the dude. Um, so the, uh, but I think the thing that like stands out when you talk about those charts and you, when I think about what like design is and can be, um, especially within this context of like working like hell, it's, it's, it really is that like, um, like there's, there's a lot more to it than just kind of like simple ornamentation. Yeah. I mean, there's and social and cultural, there's people implicated. Yeah. Real life affected in real spaces. So the meaningful ways of organizing and, and systematizing and thinking through problem solving, solving as it relates to real persons for, you know, um, towards real ends. Yeah. Towards real ends or hopefully real ends, yeah, whether yeah. they're good or bad, but like, you know, um, and that would come back to like why we would talk, try to talk over three years so comprehensively about an ecosystem mm -hmm. and like, um, and like, uh, create, uh, intentional redundancies, but, uh, or punctuation moments that repeat themselves so that you keep kind of seeing the, the land kind of, um, plotted out. Mm -hmm. Um, because I think, I think it's not hybridity or, um, what do you call it? It's not uh, diversity for diversity's sake. Mm -hmm. It's not a, oh, we should collaborate for collaboration's sake. That's fine to encounter. But it's more like there's a necessity to collaboration and, yeah, and difference. Actually something so much more important there's, than those things. Yeah. Like the, the it greater, is more important than just for diversity. Yeah, we're talking about building worlds that yeah. serve people. Right. It's very different, actually. Yeah, the world is diverse, therefore our work should be diverse. Yeah. And our communities should be diverse. Like, yeah. it's it's a it's a natural imperative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah. it requires, and, and it means that you can, you, you your work may have import as an artist or a designer that uh, might might not actually be on your, in your field of vision. Right. But without actually being adjacent or around people that are, like, without creating the soil or the, the sandbox where people start to play and go, hey, you want to work together. Um, this actually dovetails really well into the third one. Okay, let's go to, for it. To be honest, so let's let's cue this one up, and I think it'll wrap up our conversation really well. Continue to understand the issue is not about style or what's going on at the moment, but things can be deeper, more profound, and more influential. Don't get stuck in your own style at the moment. That's it. Yeah, yeah that's, yeah, that's spot on. Because I mean, we are. If we are, we've talked about this before. If we are actually building the artifacts that future people will look back at as history. What the hell are we doing? Yeah. You know, and if we're, <clears throat> if we're only stuck, if we don't have an eye to the future, an eye to another generation, an eye to how things could be, how they could change, then, then what are we really actually doing? Um, and I think, you know, when, when you look at something like uh, those like kind of foundational Bauhaus documents, the one that always comes to mind is the, not the, not the circular one, but this uh, different one. It, there's a, there's a curriculum map that was I love that, uh, that was done, and it from a distance it looks like like a NASA engineering drawing. Yes, like I was like, is this is this a first sketch? Maybe you for, should maybe you should include that image on the image cover for. Yeah, we totally can. Yeah, because I mean, it's it really it's like oh, is this looks like diagram a diagram of a satellite? Yeah, it looks like a diagram of a spaceship for me. Yeah, it's crazy. It takes me takes um, me places. But also, it is understandable. It's clear. It's yeah. concise. And it is an entire school curriculum in a snapshot. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And it's and it's really awesome, right? Um, and and all of that, like, of course, like, I mean, these are folks that are being born out of like futurism and things like that. Yes. So they're they're they've got this soil they're coming out of. Yeah. Um, and in a sense, they were completely futurists. Um, but it speaks to an integrity. It does. And I know that we need to, we we are making social changes, but um, I think we've I think in the mix of change, you, we've lost integrity. And uh, and we are in a highly politicized 
value system where politics is sort of the the hermeneutical key for interpreting value and for how we structure and think through things and, and exist. And, you know, I think there's tensions that work against this. Um, and so the idea that you could in earnest start to think about the organization of a curriculum or a, a people for a good that isn't participating directly in that, in that political um, reduction uh, or that political and in, in interpretive framework can seem um, like you're not relevant. Mm -hmm. But I suspect as we look at the past, um, not as a predictor, but as an indicator of what might happen, is a lot of times what is burning most bright right now will dissipate and there will be a need for a clearer thought on these things. Like foundations still have to be built so houses can stand. Yeah. And so no amount of mucking around with the essence of things can change what is required. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's one of the one of the interesting things about, you know, just getting a glimpse into some of the design thinking that's happened historically and mm -hmm. what that's produced as artifacts and and um and and artists need that and you know designers need artists and artists need designers. I got yeah some kooky metaphors that I'll share another time because they're not they're not uh solid yet. I was sharing them with my wife Laura Walken, but um there's there's a ways of even getting deeper into landing the plane, I think that um, I'm excited to look at as, as we go forward, even in our own organization. So, yeah. And it's, um, I don't know, it, the, the whole idea of, um, you know, not getting stuck in your style or your time um, is huge because it, it asks more of you, Yep. you know, like I can, I can turn on my, it days. asks more of you and it requires you to be more humble. Yeah, because because you have to understand that like beyond your whatever the numbers are now, like seventy to eighty years that you'll be here, um, everything else is still going to exist. Yep, it's going to pass you. And and we all do we all do hope that the things we make in our studios in those quiet times, like in the deep recesses of our heart, I think we all hope that they'll live longer than us. Yeah, you know, that someday somebody will say hey, this is a cool thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I appreciate it on some level. Um, also, uh, you know, there's there's some other great quotes from some designers that we could pull in, but um, not Milton Glaser, but I think Paul Rand or Saul Bass at one point said something along the lines of uh, uh, never dealing with what's popular because you'll be the most unpopular person very soon. Yeah. The fine arts, uh, contemporary art definitely struggles in that and uh, grad school struggle in that. Yeah. And it it draws both the uh, the most sincere maker and the most sincere mimicker. And they, they kind of like need each other. You need community and... You know, and you dabble in both and, you know, Lord knows I have and you, you don't always know where you're at or who you are, yeah. but you'll find a lot of people that are um, trend chasers and so 100%. their studio inauthentically flip flops as though there was no real investment to begin with. Whereas you may see someone on trend without necessarily meaning to be because zeitgeist work that way. Yeah. Um, or you may find that they're 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 inspired and moving, but there is a there are through lines. Um, and on the flip side is the, the kind of person who makes sort of the same thing mostly the whole time. And I think, I think we're a little smaller than we think. And so I think sometimes it's more likely that you will do that. I, I kind of have embraced that, um, glacial progression and, and I'm quite content in, in just kind of moving in and around a lot of the, uh, structural and aesthetic values and expressions that I, that I do work in. And I don't expect someone to look at my work at the end of my life as a painter and mm -hmm. say, gosh, he, his work changed drastically. They'll just be minute shifts. Um, but also that's because my only work, my 
my work isn't merely only painting. So it's like it frees yeah. the painting. There's just, I've always said this, I just think there's ideas that are more sufficient for me to try to say and do in other mediums, mm-hmm. in other ways, like this podcast or this gallery or, you know, whatever else we're doing. Yeah. But, you know, um, so I think, you know, there's, and then there's just people that are just prolifically able to, um, almost in an ADD kind of way, but really effectively um, change gears so drastically that they have a, a diversified output. And, and it's not about trends at all. And I think those are different pockets of people, but I would say that there's a large proportion that are just watching for what's going to get them identity approval. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've been saying this for years, years and years. We've been having this conversation since we've known each other. Mm -hmm. Um, So way predating this current moment we're in where identity has become a very uh, prominent discussion, but way prior to that, that identity and value, personal value are massive drivers for what we do. And, and they often drive us off cliffs mm-hmm. and they drive the whole enterprise off the cliff with it. You know, so, um, the, the, the design work or the visual artworks gets thrown into question at the expense of that. And I think that's his point is he's hitting at some kind of transcendent categories that are deeper, deeper than, and require more intimacy with like, like if you're walking and you're observing, a, I'm thinking this out loud, you're observing a landscape and you have a chance to hop in a car and drive fast, but you're, it's really important that you're actually surveying this land. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't afford to hop in the car and go fast. Yeah. So you have to, you have to be okay with the fact that fast cars are driving you by, mm-hmm. you know, driving past you. Yeah. And so as a maker, sometimes I think we have to be okay with fast cars driving us by because a lot of times you'll find them crashed up the road and you'll have been steadily paced out, mm-hmm. walking still, not a prisoner of the moment, kind of the tortoise and the hare thing. Um, no, that's a good point. I like that. I like that analogy a lot. Um, yeah, because it's not it, it, a lot of. I don't know. Most of what we do in our design is never a first in, first win. Mm-hmm. You know, like I don't know. Maybe there's some like weird, um, you know, fever dream love affair we have uh, coming out of wherever it is in our past uh, with this idea of like being a part of the avant garde mm-hmm. and like not you know, the, the cultural capital we put into like not being valued mm-hmm. until much later because you just were misunderstood. I don't know. Maybe it's just a teenage angst that plays itself out into career aspirations. Yeah. But I think it's, uh, it's definitely one of those things where we, it, it's also just a hard thing for humans to do. It's a yeah. hard thing for us to have some sort of long-term vision. Yes. Very hard. You know, it's because, you know, we are, we are like very like, uh, we are wired to pay attention to those immediate things. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm hungry. I'm tired. Yeah. You know, I'm thirsty. Yeah. Um, I hurt. Yeah. I'm so pleased. Like, those yeah. things are there. Yeah. And so it makes it tough. So it actually is uh, even hard work. Um, as you talked about some of the earlier quotes, like it's even hard work for us to have a long-term vision where we say, um, I'm not, you know, like it doesn't have to just be style. It doesn't have to be about trend. It doesn't have to be right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it could be long-term mm-hmm. what I could, and, and maybe, maybe, maybe what we're doing actually matters more than just right now. Yeah. 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 So, uh, some great words from Milton Glazer. I think that if you've, you know, if, if this piqued your interest, I'd go check him out. He's got great video interviews all over YouTube and other places. Um, a great guy. And I think you can still probably just email the dude. So dude, if you, uh, go check him out. And if he offers one of those SVA classes, like get it in while you can dudes, uh, dudes, a national treasure. So, um, with that, I think we're good. Uh, we will catch you next time. We love you. You're a fantastic audience. We will catch you next time. Peace. You've been listening to Shaco Art Speak, a production of Shaco Art Space. We are an independent, nonprofit art gallery in Richmond, Virginia. We can be found online at shacoartspace.com 
and in real life in historic Shaco Bottle.